followers. Welcome to another Fury Within. Chris here with another truly twisted but true tale. Zombies, reality or work of pure fiction. Listen on and then email me at cowardsfury at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts. In 1980, a man, seemingly lost, embarked upon a journey that led him to the heart of Leicester, an enchanting village nestled within the central embrace of Haiti. It was here that he sought out Angelina Narcisse, a familiar yet distant face. He needed to connect with his past. As their paths converged, he unveiled his identity as her long-lost brother, Clervius. Yet this reconnection was no mere coincidence. Angelina would not have believed it to be her brother without the delicate thread of shared memories woven from the fabric of their childhood, including his introduction of himself by his childhood nickname. Their bond had been severed, you see, not by the passage of time, but by a burial. Clarvius's burial in 1962. In the depths of her grief, 18 years prior, Angelina had stood amidst a small cemetery north of her village, an observer to the somber rite that laid her brother to rest within the confines of his coffin. She could never have imagined that she would one day stumble upon the man whom she once called brother 18 years after his passing. Clervius Narcisse was finally home, but how could this be? With a voice that bore the weight of his truth, Narcisse recounted the night of his own burial. His recollections painted a surreal canvas of consciousness trapped within a still body, as though suspended like between the realms of life and death. He described the cascade of soil that covered his coffin, a sensation akin to drifting above the very grave that imprisoned him. The mark etched upon his cheek, a scar, he attributed to a nail that had pierced the wooden casket and grazed his cheek. But the tale ventured into the realm of the uncanny. He spoke of a night when the fabric between reality and mysticism was thin. A voodoo priest, a bokor, a weaver of supernatural threads, had summoned him from the depths of his grave. A harrowing awakening, for sure, but then marked by torment, followed by a life bound to toil upon a sugar plantation in the far reaches of northern Haiti. A life shackled to servitude as a zombie, ensnared by the malevolent intentions of the voodoo sorcerer. Narcisse's story, shrouded in the belief of the living dead, found echoes in the collective consciousness of the Haitian people. A belief woven deep into the cultural tapestry, where sorcerers could breathe life into corpses for their own nefarious ends. Angelina's astonishment was a reflection of a broader sentiment, skepticism confronted by irrefutable proof. The winds of destiny converged once more in that same year. Two other Haitian villagers, two women, would also proclaim themselves as returned zombies, a phenomenon that breathed life into the realm of the supernatural, painting a portrait of wanderers, devoid of any real purpose, lost within the fields of northern Haiti. Yet amidst the realm of folklore and legend, Narcisse's narrative stood as a testament etched in ink and record, because Hospital archives, marked by the seal of DeChapelle's American-directed Schweitzer Hospital, bore witness to his demise. Narcisse had walked into the hospital with a fever, and he was vomiting up blood. They tried to stabilize him, but Narcisse, according to medical record, would not make it, as witnessed by no less than at least two doctors. As his sister stood weeping by his bedside, he could hear the doctors pronounce him dead. He was mentally conscious, but unable to move in any way. And in fact, his heart seemed to have stopped. He seemed to have stopped breathing. 
And this actually all sounds a lot like sleep paralysis, but with the addition of a metabolism that slows enough to fool multiple doctors into thinking you're dead. Amidst the puzzling circumstances of Narcisse's case, a Haitian-born psychiatrist, Dr. Lamarck Duyon, sought to unravel the threads of the zombie myth. At least in his mind, it was a myth. He was, in his mind, a relentless pursuer of the truth, and his convictions were really rooted in the tangible, so he endeavored to think through the mythical trappings of voodoo practice, and he reached out to other colleagues overseas to help him. Guided by the pioneering spirit of Dr. Nathan Klein, resources rallied together, driven by the promise of uncovering the mysteries of potential biological and pharmacological new uses, because they just assumed these were drugs that were causing this phenomenon. Dr. Klein is largely regarded as the father of psychopharmacology. One of those resources, Richard Evans Schultz, director of the Harvard Botanical Museum, emerged as an interested party. Schultz is seen as sort of a sentinel of the plant world. His scholarly pursuits unraveled the secrets of ethnobiology and medications that are still used today. Yet Schultz had to defer, citing a schedule that was just too busy, but he had a recommendation for a replacement for him, Wade Davis, a young Canadian whose thirst for discovery and adventure was boundless. Davis and Schultz had some history together, and Davis was excited about the opportunity to research and dive deeply into the Haitian zombie phenomenon, and he knew, with Schultz's contacts and clout, that he could go where others could not. Guided by the legacy of Schultz, Davis embarked upon a journey that transported him to a land with which he was totally unfamiliar. He did know that he did not believe in zombies. He had a biological theory for what was behind the zombie stories, but other than that, he brought only his open mind and a curiosity to the task of trying to figure out what was behind Haiti's famous zombie people. Davis was unfamiliar with African culture, let alone Haitian culture. He knew of the history of a people who would not be oppressed by French colonists or that of Napoleon's army. The African people transported to Haiti between 1780 and 1790 would prove to be a people of cohesiveness with a desire to be free from their enslavement. In 1791, those enslaved would prove to be more resilient than the enslavers could ever have imagined. With social structures like secret societies and different methods of communication, the enslaved people of Haiti revolted, winning back their rightful freedom and creating an independent black republic with its own unique set of beliefs that were solidly based from their African beginnings. Those secret societies and different types of communication would persist through their history as a symphony of beliefs pulsed through the veins of the Haitian culture, resonating with the rhythm of voodoo in practice. The spiritual dance between the living and the spirits, a delicate balance woven through the fabric of existence, is what voodoo is all about. Voodooans, bearers of an ancient flame, communed with these ethereal entities, embodying a code that guided their actions and governed their society. Essentially, voodoo wasn't what the Western world assumed it to be. Those were all just sort of stereotypes, most of which were not true. It was truly a way in which Haitians could live their everyday lives with the structures and expectations around their norms, which were really the part that was embedded within voodoo. Amidst the verdant hills and moonlit nights, Davis immersed himself in the folds of Haitian society. A rare outsider, was he was finally welcomed into a society that seemed to be so off-limits to others who had attempted to crack the code. His encounters unveiled layers of complexity and nuance and surprising connection. 
Voodoo's rituals became his own, its mysteries a living testament to the intricate weave of beliefs that shaped their people. Many would question Davis as to how he had success in getting into the Haitian culture as deeply as he had. He would tell you that he just went with no preconceived notions, opened his mind, and just immersed himself in everything that they did and just became a part of their world. While outsiders scoffed at the notion of zombies as mere folklore, a chosen few dared to venture deeper to seek truths beneath the veils of those myths. Among them, prior to Davis, was Zola Neale Hurston, an anthropological trailblazer. She had traversed the realms of Haitian voodoo, her footsteps echoing through the pages of a book that she had written later called Tell My Horse. Yet even she had glimpsed only fragments of the culture that masked the zombie phenomenon. She was not able to crack in there and get all the way deep down to what was the thing that would make these zombies. Davis embarked on a path a little less traveled, unearthing the secrets of sorcery, legends intertwined with lethal ingredients. An encounter with Marcel Pierre, who lived within the sort of labyrinth of alleys of St. Mark, set the stage for a transaction laced with intrigue. In the shadows of Pierre's Eagle Bar, the veil parted, revealing a glimpse of a secret formula, a mixture of toads, sea worms, lizards, and human bones. Pierre agreed to help Davis for a sizable sum, and the promise that Pierre would ask no questions about the nature of Davis's interest or visit. The sorcerer agreed and showed Davis how to make the zombification powder. But Davis was skeptical because this so-called sorcerer only used these mundane ingredients um, in his potion, but certainly nothing uh, that could cause any zombie-like symptoms. Upon challenging the sorcerer as to his legitimacy, Pierre, wanting to maintain his mystical relevancy and power, produced a second vial of the powder. He told Davis that this was the real zombie dust. Davis, feeling his oats, rubbed the powder into the palms of his hands, to which the sorcerer said, You're a dead man. But Davis was a bit cunning and had not actually rubbed the powder into his skin, which is the typical application. Impressed with Davis's ability to stave off the effects of the powder, Pierre agreed to show Davis how to actually make the real zombie dust. In the process, Davis noticed the human bone was always used, but that wasn't suspicious. He obtained several samples of the powder from the sorcerer. Upon his own testing, he found that there were four ingredients common across all the samples. One or more species of pufferfish toxin, or tetrodotoxin, a marine toad, which produces a number of top toxic substances, a hyla tree frog, which secretes an irritant, and then, of course, as I said, human bones. The mixture may have other additives as well, but these were the four that were found in all the samples. It was the use of tetrodotoxin that really caught Davis's eye. Tetrodotoxin is a non-protein sodium channel blocker and can cause several different types of symptoms. Davis believed that it could, in certain doses, produce the effects of slowing the metabolism and rapidly weakening and paralyzing muscles, including those of the respiratory tract, which can mimic and or even cause death. Davis believed that initial death-like state would be achieved by the bokor, the victim would be buried, the bokor would later then retrieve the victim from their burial, and then feed them a paste of concombro zombie, a hallucinogenic that comes from a plant called the zombie's cucumber or the detura plant. The plant has a psychoactive property that could keep a person confused and out of sorts and did grow in Haiti at the time. In other words, the bokor would fake a person's death 
and keep them compliant by giving them regular doses of a psychoactive paste, which would keep them docile and under control. If the person actually died, Voodoo had an explanation for that too. The sorcerer simply wasn't powerful enough to bring the victim back from the death state. Davis would discover that Narcisse and the other women that had come forward as zombies were pariah in their town. Narcisse had left his children and then argued with his brother over land inheritance when he refused to vacate land that rightfully belonged to his brother. The women had their share of perceived wrongdoings as well. Narcisse believed that it was his brother who brokered his body into servitude for abandoning his children and failing to give over the property. In other words, social norms were broken and a price had to be paid. Narcisse did not return until after learning of his brother's death, although Narcisse would tell that he, his captor had died and that's how he was freed. You see, it wasn't just enough to have a powder that could make a zombie. One also had to have the deep-seated culture of secret societies, rituals, and belief structures that came with voodoo and the utter acceptance as this is a way of life for the Haitian people. Without both the chemical and social aspects, the zombie effect would have greatly been diminished. In other words, it wasn't just enough to make someone look like they're dead and bury them and get them alive again. You also had to have this very complex and nuanced social structure that voodoo provided to the Haitian people. And this was part of what Davis discovered. It's not just the thing, it's also the social structure. Davis released his findings through articles and then later a book called The Serpent and the Rainbow. The book, whose title is based off of the voodoo belief of the serpent who created the earth and then married the rainbow, is a popular account of Davis's adventures in Haiti. And it was written around the same time as he was completing his dissertation for his PhD. The book was later adapted to film, both mediums were wildly popular. Many have worked to debunk Davis's assertions relative to the tetrodotoxin and the zombie's cucumber. First, they questioned Davis's ethics when he went to graveyards with the Bokor to help the sorcerer dig up bones for grinding into zombie powder. Yes, that's probably questionable ethically. You know, I don't know if that means that he's not a good scientist or not, though. They questioned whether or not Davis's analysis of the substances that was in the zombie powder was scientific or controlled, or if he perhaps even added substances to the powder himself, which that's a pretty damning assertion. They also said that Davis had topically tested the powders on rats with little to no effect at all, and I don't know how true that is. Detractors also cited that presumed zombie cases had since been debunked, Um, because they were actually instances of mental illness or mistaken identity. Finally, naysayers stated that Davis's samples had little to no tetrodotoxin in them, to which Davis countered that the solution in which those scientists had placed the substance likely destroyed the active ingredients. No matter how you slice it, Davis's findings, at least the way in which he presented them, became highly controversial. Not much research was actually done regarding tetrodotoxin after Davis's attempts to explain the Haitian voodoo zombification practice. However, it would make its appearance in fiction like The Symptoms, where Homer ingests improperly prepared fugu fish, and in the James Bond novel From Russia with Love, where James Bond is lacerated by an enemy boot razor laden with tetrodotoxin. Both fictional characters survive, but not all are so lucky. Every year, there are those who die from ingesting ill-prepared fugu fish, also known as pufferfish, one of the many animals that contain the potentially deadly 
and potentially zombifying tetrodotoxin. However, in today's modern medicine, biochemicals like tetrodotoxin are being researched for good. That compound in particular is being researched as a potential replacement for opioids to provide targeted, non-addictive pain alternatives to help people who suffer from chronic and debilitating pain without causing the undesirable side effects like addiction. And it's truly fascinating how they are bonding this potentially deadly chemical uh, with another additive to be able to target pain and have it slowly disperse in small amounts into your system without any damaging effects. Um, I would recommend you actually go look it up and read about it. It's really fascinating. There's always more than one side to every story, and thus you decide for yourself. Zombie or just a tale to scare people? All right, that'll do it for today's Fury Within. Make sure you share us with your loved ones. I'm sure they won't think it's creepy at all. It's totally normal. No need to worry. Talk later. Talk later.